Hello, fam, and welcome back to another episode of The Gear Room. I'm your host, Drew. This week's episode, I will be discussing Sig Sauer's new Tread Predator Rifle, the Armory rewarding Baird Firearms the $50 million PSR contract, and Parker Mountain Machines integrated rear sight, to name a few. This week's episode is packed to the brim with content. Let's gear up and dive right in. As always now, before we start this week's podcast, I want to thank everyone for your support. If you like this podcast, hit the, hit the add or subscribe button, tell a friend, leave a review. I can't grow without your support. If you think your board's doing good things, help your man out. Thank you again for your support. Let's get into this week's podcast. All right, fam, we're going to start this week's uh, episode of the podcast with a rifle, okay? Um, last week, Six Hour released a new rifle. Now, Six Hour for the last few years has been killing the game. I would say for about for the last five plus years, Six Hour has been making a product lineup that can rival anybody else in the firearms market or industry currently right now. Uh, what Six Hour offers from handguns, rifles, uh, hunting, optics, anything you want to equate with the firearms industry for the most part six hours been killing the game and they have been getting contract after contract uh not just u.s military service pistol uh they won a optic uh contract for the u.s army for their uh for the new infantry optic for the u.s infantry uh for the u.s uh, army um not u.s infantry but for the u.s army for their infantry um They've been making optics. They've been making just everything that under the sun that anybody has been needing within military, law enforcement, or in the civilian market. Just sick has just been killing the game. Now they have some. They've had. They have had some hiccups, and those hiccups have mainly been the uh, M17 pistol and the situation where when you potentially drop it at a certain angle, it could discharge around. So a negligent discharge. No. Uh, not negligent discharge, negligent discharges upon the person, uh, accidental discharge, excuse me, of the firearm has been, uh, has happened in very rare circumstances with a certain amount of criteria that has to be met. It's just like Murphy's law. What will go wrong can go wrong, but everything has to go wrong at once for it to happen. It's a very specific way for it to accidentally discharge. So they fixed that with a new with a new round of improvements and doing the whole recall and all that stuff. So they kind of cleared that up. I know people got a lot of, a lot of hate against the 320 and the M17 because of that, but they're not the only firearm that's had recall issues. Recalls happen, man. With vehicles, with anything else, recall happens is how the company fixes it and how the company corrects the problem so it doesn't happen again. Now, I know people are going to bring up the Canadian SF dude that uh, just uh, had an accidental discharge with a with a M17. Now, SIG is investigating that. I haven't heard any more details about it. I've heard talking to my friends and, uh, and co-workers who know about the situation, not personally, but just reading articles about it, that he was trying to holster the pistol and a holster that wasn't meant designed for a 320 or an M17 platform. If that is true, that is his fault, and he could have been negligible for leading to the accidental discharge, so it might be a negligent discharge. I know SIG has all the information that I don't have. 
So, but the whole point I was trying to make, had to put a few prefaces in there. The whole point I was trying to make was that for the last five years plus, Sig has been killing the game. And it doesn't matter if it's coming down to just a basic rifle, a hunting rifle, a pistol, uh, PCC stuff, which I forgot to mention. Their uh, MPX platform is an awesome platform. Sig has just been killing the game and making really great products for either law enforcement, military, or the civilian use. So they they have definitely been killing the game. Now they're adding to their uh, thread thread rifle series, right? So now six hour uh, tagline. Ours going to be from the loadout blog. <clears throat> tagline is six hour unveils new tread predator rifle, right? So that is the headline of the article. Let me let's get into the meat and potatoes of the article. Back in 2018, Six Hour released their Tread series uh, to the firearms market. Since then, the Tread series has been well-received by the firearms community. The series features the original M16-inch M400 model, 11.5-inch pistol, and a 716 Model I shooting 308. Now SIG has upped the ante with a new Six Hour Tread Predator. SIG optimized this rifle for shooters. For shooters hunting predatory animals, the new rifle was announced by Sig Sauer on March 29th with a press release below. It's the press release from Sig Sauer on the new Tread Predator. All right, so uh, that's basically wrap up of it. So this is going to be the fourth rifle of the Tread Predator series. Oh, well, not in the Predator series, but the Tread series, right? But it's, uh, so there's been four other rifles, the original 16-inch, 11.5-inch pistol model, and then the 716i model shooting 308. I'm assuming it's not going to be a 16-inch barrel, but I'm not sure. Um, now they're adding this uh, this Tread Predator. Uh, they're adding the Predator series. They're adding the Predator rifle to the Tread series. Getting a little tongue tied what I'm trying to say there. So they're adding a new one to the, ser uh, to the series, which is going to be Tread Predator. Now, when they said for hunting Predator animals, I'm thinking like wolves, coyotes, uh, any any animal like that because the cartridge that's going to be shooting is five five six so uh that explains it in the press release was i have got to but it's going to be chambered in five five six so if it's going to be chambered in five five six i'm thinking coyotes wolves um any type of game any type of predator uh animals like that or any other predator animals you want to think of that falls into that to that category you could a lynx uh but i, I don't think you want to shoot a lynx I, I think they might be in danger but i'm not sure <laughs> um so uh, the press release from Six Hour. Six Hour expands hunting rifle lineup with the introduction of the Sig M400 Tread Predator, uh, Newington, New Hampshire. Six Hour Incorporated is is pleased to introduce the Sig M400 Tread Predator, the newest addition to the Sig Hunter rifle uh, lineup. The Tread Predator is an MSR platform hunting rifle designed specifically for predator hunting, that incorporates many of the Tread features. The, with design enhancements to suit the need for hunters. The M400 Tread Predator combines the popular series features, not series features, of the Tread series of rifles, including ambidextrous controls and inter, easily interchangeable Tread brand accessories uh, with new attributes that optimize the M400 platform for hunters, said Tom Taylor, Chief Marketing Officer and Executive Vice President Commercial Sales. The new features include a stock that easily adjusts for both length of pull and in comb height so the hunter can get properly aligned no matter the circumstance. QD mounts to attach 
a sling for easy carry, a new tread handgun system uh, with a flat surface bottom, and a Cerakote Elite Jungle Finish to minimize visibility and protect the rifle in woods and brush. Protect the rifle in wood and brush environments. Uh, the the M400 Tread Predator is an aluminum frame rifle with a with a Cerakote Elite Jungle Finish, a precision style adjustable stock that maintains a lightweight design, a 16-inch stainless steel threaded barrel. Threat protector to eliminate snag points that can be removed by can be removed to add a suppressor, a light, a light and free float M M lock 15 inch predator handguard, a hardened steel polished trigger, and ambidextrous controls. The rifle is chambered in 5.56 NATOs and ships with a five round magazine for hunting. Okay. Like I said, it's a pretty legit setup from top to bottom. It was completely designed for hunters in mind. Uh, what it has, it looks. So I'm not sure if it is, but the buttstock kind of looks like uh, the Magpul. Uh, I think it's the PSR1 buttstock, but I think it's their own version of it, to be honest with you. It looks pretty close to it, but it's not exactly the same. It's like same, same, but different. Uh but that's what it reminds me of. The stock of it reminds me of the PSR. Uh, I think it's the Magpul PSR one stock that I'm thinking of. Uh, if I'm naming, if I have the exact nomenclature of the stock wrong, I apologize. But I think that's the name of the stock from Magpul. Um, if you know what I'm talking about, you already know what I'm talking about, and you're calling me an idiot because I'm uh, I have the wrong nomenclature for the stock. But like I said, my apologies. Uh, so it's a pretty solid stock from top to bottom. You got a six, you're running a 16 inch barrel, 15 inch M lock, uh, uh, 15 inch uh, free flow uh, handguard. I have M lock, uh, M lock for attachments. You have an adjustable uh, buttstock uh, for length of pull and then height. Uh, you got a nice uh, polished trigger. I don't know how good it is. It doesn't say if it's singular, uh, a single action, I'm not a single action. If it's a one one stage or two stage trigger, <laughs> uh, I'm thinking pistol talking about single and double action. Um, I don't know. It says it's a polished trigger, but I don't know if that trigger is going to be um, uh, mom I'm trying to say single stage. Um, <laughs> yeah, a single stage trigger or a two stage trigger. Uh, I don't know which one is going to be. I'm trying not to say single action, double action. That's why the long pause. I don't know if it's going to be a, a first stage trigger or two stage, uh, a one stage trigger or two stage trigger on it, but it is polished. So it's probably going to be smooth on the, on the, uh, on the breaking on the reset. All right. So to finish off the article, uh, oh, well, the press release. Additionally, the six, the six hour M400 tread predator is fully compatible with a full line of tread accessories to include various length of M lock handguards, a three chamber compensator, an, an ambidextrous charging handle made of air, uh, aircraft grade aluminum flip up front and rear flip up front and rear iron sights that are easy to install adjustable and deploy quickly an m-lock front sight adapter with co-witness height made uh made of lightweight aluminum and multiple configurations of m-lock grip kits made of high strength polymer okay uh the the M4 Tread Predator is now shipping and available at retailers. To learn more about the M400 Tread Predator or watch a product video by 
Patrick Hanley, Rifle Product Manager, visit SixHour.com. Um, SixHour has not released a price point for the new Tread Predator, but I will imagine it will be in the ballpark as its predecessors, potentially a little bit more since the rifle has some specialized components. Um, that was my final thoughts on the article um, of the press release. Yeah, so I initially tried to look into the price. I went to SIG's website and SIG forwarded me. I put in, uh, I put uh, buy firearms and then I put in my zip code, which is going to be a Vegas zip code. And then it sent me to my local, my, the local Vegas SIG dealers that sell, uh, that have a contract with SIG, but it didn't give me any prices. So I don't know how much this is going to run potentially. Uh, I would say, I believe this setup ballpark estimate to be fair if i was selling it for sig i think this is about a thousand to twelve hundred dollar rifle setup which isn't bad especially for a hunting rifle that is meant for hunting predatory animals like i said uh wolves and coyotes um that's what i think it's set up for and it is a good price like i said sig for the longest time for the last five years or so they have been building upon their reputation of making great firearms great optics and great accessories so it's not gonna it doesn't surprise me that they're continuing that lineage that they're growing upon with this new uh tread predator rifle so that is pretty much it for that that is the sig's new tread predator rifle that they're adding to the tread series uh next we're going to talk about barrett's barrett being awarded the 50 million dollar contract for the precision uh sniper rifle by the from the u.s army stand by all right now on to article two that we're going to be discussing today all right so barrett has been wearing a lot of contracts recently when it comes down to their rifles uh barrett is a rifle uh are rifles that are used throughout the world. Everybody knows the Barrett 50 Cal. Uh, they also have uh, what's the uh, the Rec 7 and something else. I think it's the Rec 7 and the Rec 10. That's going to be like their AR-15 platform rifles that are used not by our US, not by the U.S. military, but by other militaries. Use that uh, rifle platform. Um, and the MRAD system is used by which is their. I forgot what MRAD stands for. Let me check it out real here. MRAD stands for multi-role adaptive design uh, rifle. Uh, their MRAD rifle has been used, is used and being used by other militaries, now including ours. Our Department of Defense also um, awarded Barrett some money for them to procure some MRAD rifles, also known as the Mark 22, for uh, FBI snipers and all that jazz and for SRT teams. So... Barrett just continues to kill that game on that regard. I honestly like Barrett rifles. I've only shot a Rec Seven, and it was it was a solid rifle. Like I can't I can't complain about it. It did it did everything well. It was designed well. It felt good in the hand. Recoil was really really smooth on it. It wasn't uh it's only shooting two two three right, but so it wasn't going to be aggressive anyway. But it was a really flat shooter. Uh, everything was thoughtful and everything was well designed that <clears throat> that uh it was just a, a very very good rifle uh bear makes good rifles and that's just pretty much about it 
They've been making good rifles for a long time. It started with the Barrett. Uh, it started with the Barrett 50 cal, right? Uh, shooting good old 50 BMG. And now they just expanded uh, outward into different different stuff. The thing I like about Barrett is that when it comes down to the MRAD system, it's about innovation, right? So you it's able to do barrel swamps pretty easy. So right, so the treads the tread series can shoot a few different calibers, um, but the only thing you have to do with that is a barrel change and I think a a bolt. Or just potentially the bolt face. I'm not sure. I don't know that much about the MRAP, but it allows for interchangeability of rifle calibers with a barrel change and potentially a bolt carrier change, and you're good to go, which is pretty nice. Um, but so they have two other contracts from the the U.S. government. One was from, like I said, the DOD. The other one was from SOCOM. Uh, SOCOM bought some MRADs for their uh, snipe for their snipers, and the U.S. Army is doing the same. I wonder if the Marine Corps will, but I think the Marine Corps is adopting a different uh, rifle platform or a different bolt action platform for their new sniper rifle. So I don't think uh, Marine Corps snipers to get access to this. So the article is from the Firearms Blog, and the headline for it is: Bear Firearms Award a fifty million dollar contract for U.S. Army's precision rifle. Um, I'm going to read through the article. As always, I'm going to give a link in the description below if you want to read more about it on your own. Uh, but I am going to read the whole article and I will give my thoughts throughout as norms. All right. So uh, the U.S. Army has confirmed its procurement of Barrett Firearms Manufacturing's Mark 22 multi-role adaptive design uh, MRAD rifle as the, as the precision sniper rifle. The 50 million, uh, the 50 million five-year contract will see just short of 3,000 MRAS procured. It has not been specified which caliber will be the primary chambering of the Army's new sniper rifles, but the Army's announcement does mention MRAS' ability to switch between 338 Norma Magnum, 300 Norma Magnum, and 762 by 51 NATO. All right, so like I told you before, it has. Um, that that ability to switch between 338 norma 300 magnum and 762 by 51 by the barrel swamp and like i said potentially the bolt you know um the bolt just switching that out might be what all you have to do to uh to get it in uh to get it shooting the new caliber which is pretty dope uh, i think a lot of people were, were reaching for that that was the whole the whole idea design behind the acr that uh that interchangeability i think people have been trying at it for a few years and haven't been really successful with it i think people who have been is been barrett and sig throwing out sig again sig where the mcx you have the ability to uh to change out barrels and bolt faces uh to shoot a new uh caliber that that accommodates that rifle platform so that's pretty that's pretty dope um and it it actually, I, I hope this idea becomes, I hope this innovation becomes more mainstream because if this innovation becomes more mainstream and people start building more rifles like this, this is just outside I saw, my apologies, people. Um, and people start building more rifles like this. You can build, I like the concept of building one platform with multi-purpose, right? So only thing I would have to do, let's say 
I had, okay, I do. Let's say I have a 16 inch 5.56, right? But I want to switch out that 16 inch 5.56 and I want to shoot uh, 300 blackout, right? Only thing I would have to do is change out the barrel, change out the bolt face, right? Because I need a different bolt. Change out the handguards potentially too, because let's say, what if I'm running, I'm going from a 16 inch to a, a 10 and a half inch 300 blackout barrel. Now I can do it with like a 30 minute conversion and it's all said and done. I'm not going to be one of those people that say you can do it in like five minutes. Now I would say a, a 10 to 15 minute top 30 minute conversion of the two. Cause you got to, you know, interchange parts and stuff like that isn't a bad setup. So I can go from, you know, one time I want to shoot my 16 inch. My 16 inch was going to be the base. All right. This time I want to go to the range and shoot my 300 blackout. Now I don't even have, now I don't have to worry about investing in another 300 blackout. One thing I have invested in a barrel and a bolt and hand guards, which is saving me so much money. Uh, the ability to do that is, is pretty dope. The, th the closest thing that we have to that now as firearms owners is running multiple uppers on one lower. So this is what I do. Uh, I have one lower that I run a, a 14 and a half and a 12 and a half on. So, and I just switch out whenever they're both running five, five, six, but someday, one day I might want to go shoot. I want to shoot the 12 and a half. I just put that lower. I mean, I put that upper on that, on that lower for those two, and then I can just switch and swap, or I can bring it out to the range and switch, switch it and swap it, which is pretty nice. Um, but this would be even more convenient. So that's why I like the concept of this. Um, my that was my off off the topic thought concerning that polish apologies but i feel i hope i hope more firearms manufacturers try to look into this as a possibility because i think that type of innovation is going to be beneficial for the community uh as a whole like as a whole as a whole i'll get into that thought a little bit later potentially uh liking my final thoughts about about stuff like that but let me move on in the article. All right. So we don't know what caliber is going to choose. I'm, I think they're going to choose like 300 Norma. To be honest with you, they're going to pick one of the normals. I don't think they're going to keep dealing with 762 by 51. I think the only reason that they'll keep dealing with 762 by 51, AKA 308 for the civilian market is that because it is a NATO recognized round and the interchangeability of it, uh, not the interchangeability of it, but the availability of ammo for all the NATO allies is going to be a lot greater. And these countries won't have to potentially invest in Norma Magna, uh, potentially. But I feel like since the military has been trying to find a new caliber or new cartridge for the future, that's why we have the, the next, gener uh, next generation of uh, weapons systems program that the U.S. Army is doing, where you have General Dynamics and Texeron and all those other companies uh, vying and SIG vying, there goes SIG again, <laughs> vying uh, for to become the the military or at least the U.S. Army's next uh, next uh, rifle. And they're looking for it to be chamber in 6.8. So they're all making their own version of 6.8, right? Um, I feel with that happening, when with the military trying to pick 
a bigger round with 223 that has better ballistics and, and better energy upon target. I feel like that would just naturally apply to the sniper rifles. Why are you going to keep running 7.62x51 NATO when you know it's going to hit a wall at about 1,000 yards and it's going to lose a lot of velocity and it's going to fall off the face of the earth? I don't see them continuing to use 308. Just my personal opinion. I don't think the Army is going to continue to use 308. The only reason I see the Army continue to use 308 is because it's a NATO round. Only reason why. Other than that, it doesn't make any ballistic sense to keep using 308 out of a sniper rifle. Out of a modern day sniper rifle. Because a lot of people might disagree with me right now. But I'm going to say it. 308 is pretty much that. 7.62 by 51 NATO, when it was originally designed back in the day, was beneficial. Right. It was doing everything that the military's in. It was designed to do right now, for the most part, especially in long range precision shooting. 308 is dead, man. 308 is dead. There are so many alternatives to 308 that's going to have a better ballistic coefficient, better energy upon upon impact of the target. And that's that's just going to just going to operate better ballistically than than 762 by 51 or 308 is just the truth. Yeah, it's just it's just the naked truth, man. And I think people need to realize that because once people realize that they will probably switch up their mind about investing in it, because I see no point. Personally, I see no point in the military to continue to invest in 762 by 51 NATO only because that's what they already have. Got stockpiles of that shit. That's one reason they, they, they continue to invest in it. Um, I think they might invest in 762 by 51 NATO and like 300 Norma. I don't think I don't see them. I don't see them going up to 338 normal Magnum. That's just my opinion on that. All right. Two rants done. I was ranting on that one. Uh, two rants done. Uh, the news came in an announcement from the U.S. Army Project Manor. Project Manor soldier lethality confirming that the selection and procurement of the uh, Mark 22 MRAD. The U.S. Army noted the interest in the MRAD several years ago. And SOCOM has already adopted the rifle as the ASR Advanced Sniper Rifle. Additionally, back in 2019, the U.S. Department of Defense procured an, uh, an undeclosed uh, number of MRAD precision rifles chambered in 300 PRC. Bear delivered the first rifles to SOCOM earlier this year, and the U.S. Army announced the selection of the Leopold Mark V HD as the optics be paired with the PSR back in, 20, back in March of 2020. The MRAD has also entered service with a number of other militaries around the world, including New Zealand. All right. So. Like I said before, and I said this earlier uh, in this section of the podcast that SOCOM had already adopted. The DOD had already adopted. Uh, I didn't know what the DOD had chambered it in, but in 300 PRC, which is pretty dope brown. Um, I think. SOCOM chambered in 300 PRC also, if I remember correctly. I think SOCOM put their uh, their advanced sniper rifle uh, was in 300 PRC. I think it was. It was either 300 or 300 PRC. I'm pretty sure it was 300 PRC also. All right. Um, for their sniper rifles. All right. So here's a little quick brief announcement from the U.S. Army about the uh the 50 million dollar contract being awarded to bear firearms uh picatinny arsenal new jersey that's the name for you picatinny 
Arsenal, New Jersey. The Armory awarded a $49.9 million five-year contract to Bayer Firearms Manufacturing Incorporated, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, Monday, March 30th, to acquire the Mark 22 multi-role adaptive design MRAD rifle as the Army's new sniper weapon system. Uh, the Army will procure approximately 2,800 Mark 22 rifles from Barrett, the current maker of the Army's M107, 50 cal Barrett, I mean 50 cal long-range sniper rifle. The Mark 22 is a part of the Army's sniper precision rifle program, which also includes the Leopold and Stevens Mark V HD scope and sniper accessory kit. The Mark 22 is a modular system that will be filled with three separate that will be filled with three separate calibers, 338 Norma, 300 Norma Magnum, and 762 by 51 Naval. Army snipers will be able to conduct a barrel change and select calibers based on their mission operating environment. The PSR program will allow the Army an extreme range of weapon systems that is lighter than current sniper rifles and include features that will mask the sniper's signature for improved survivability. SOCOM previously awarded a contract to Barrett to purchase the MRAD as a part of their advanced sniper program. All right, so according to this, which is kind of deceiving by the firearms blog, uh, not deceiving, but they kind of they kind of said they don't know what the Army's going to use. It kind of makes it kind of clear what Army's going to use. The Army said it will be fielded with three separate calibers, 338 Norma, 330, uh, three. 338 Norma Magnum, 300 Norma Magnum, and 762 by 51. It's going to be mission based. It's going to be so the snipers are going to be able to choose when they're when they get their mission right. They're going to be able to choose what they're what's going to be best to fulfill that mission. So they'll be able to they'll be able to switch between 338 Norma, 300 Norma, and 762 by 51. That actually makes a lot more sense. That actually makes a lot more sense. It should be mission dependent, what you're going to need. Because when snipers work anyway, from what I've understood of working with snipers and talking to them, uh, everything was mission dependent. So, like, even when, because snipers in my in my battalion, when we went to Afghanistan, they had M107s, but they never brought out the M107, but two times because it was mission dependent. One, they didn't want to lug that everything around. And two, they didn't need it unless it was mission dependent. They only bought it out on two different missions. Other than that, they were just using their normal sniper rifles that they were using. Their normal bolt action uh, 308 sniper rifles. They only brought out the bear when it was mission dependent. That's just the way the military works in general. And we're not going to bring out anything unless it's mission dependent. It's good that the snipers have the ability and the, the ability and the flexibility to choose which caliber is going to best suit them for the mission for their mission parameters. That makes the most sense. If U.S. Army, that is actually really smart of you. So I agree with that. So Barrett gets another contract. They've got three contracts from the U.S. military. Oh, well, two from the U.S. military, one from the Department of Defense from the U.S. government concerning their rifles. Like I said, the Rec 7 is like their AR-15 platform that gets used by foreign militaries. Um, and then you have the MRAD system that's again used by foreign military. So they are doing a big, they are really big on the, on the military and law enforcement scene. And my thing with Barrett, I think Barrett in a lot of ways, it's like the new Knight's Armament. Uh, because Knight's Armament main thing is making really high quality stuff 
but it's geared more towards military and law enforcement. They're looking for military and law enforcement contracts and they don't really make stuff for the civilian market. Barrett does, and they do a good job keeping the civilian market uh, stocked with their firearms. And I feel like Barrett has a better business model than Knights because Knights makes really good products. Like their SR-25, uh, we have one down at Battlefield where I work, Battlefield Vegas, and I've shot it before multiple times. And it shoots 308 really, really well. It is a nice, beefy gun. What I mean by beefy, it has like weight to it. It has some heft to it. But it handles that 308 like a dream. I say it handles 308 kind of like 7.62 by 50. 7.62 by 39 shooting out of an AK. Um, handles it really, really well. Like the felt recoil on it is really nice. They did a good job with that rifle from from everything, from, from the complete design of that rifle they've done a really really good job of it expensive though it's a five grand rifle it's a five grand 308 rifle now is it worth that price point that's that's debatable because that's going to be what you put second in value of it all but i feel like barrett is positioning themselves to be a better knight's armament one that is military military and law enforcement focused but still caters to the civilian market and give give that access to the civilian market uh, with the recce seven and stuff like that. You're gonna pay a little bit more of a premium, but I think uh, their availability to their products is a lot more friendlier and easier than it is Knights Armament. Not against Knights, like I said, I think they made really really good products. Um, I like their 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 uh their muzzle devices. I think. It's, uh, their muzzle devices and stuff like that. They make really great products, but they, in my opinion, are way overpriced. And you know why they get away charging those prices? One, because the market dictates that they can charge that price. Two, because people are willing to pay it. Because people are like, oh, it's nice arms, it's nice armament, and it's mill spec, so it must be good. In this case, yes, with nice arms, with nice armament, it is. Not all mill spec stuff is created equal, and that's what people don't realize. Uh. So mill spec just means it has to follow within certain parameters to certain specific parameters of build and quality to meet military standards. That's all mill spec is. Mill spec is not necessarily better than civilian market stuff. I think there's a lot of civilian market stuff better than military spec stuff. So that's just my personal opinion. But Bears is going to continue to kill the game. I think they're a more friendly version, a more consumer friendly version least on the civilian side of nice armament. I think they're a better nice armament and they have a better business model than nice armament when it comes down to accommodating both military and law enforcement and the civilian market. Okay. Uh, so that's pretty much about it for Barrett. I kind of ran my mouth a little too long about this one. Goodness gracious. I ran into 20 minutes about running my mouth about this and my two uh, tangent ideas, uh, tangent concepts I want to talk back, talk about. All right, now we're going to move on to uh, Parker Mountain Machines new integrated rear uh, integrated red dot site. Iron sites for their integrated red, integrated red dot site. All right, now moving on to uh, Parker Mountain Machines. Now I was wrong, partly about this. 
I kept saying an uh, integrated red dot site is an integrated rear dot site. And I knew I was wrong on something and I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't feel I, I wasn't sure what it was. So my apologies, people. It's not an integrated red dot site. It is a integrated rear site for your red dot. That's what I was trying to get out there and I wasn't conveying properly. So my apologies on that one, everybody. All right. So I'm a big fan of Park Mountain Machines. Uh, they make uh, just firearms accessories, barrels, compensators. They're really to me first got known to me by their compensators and i still do want to try their compensators uh they make a a compensator and barrel for the for the uh, p365xl that i do eventually want to get my hands on uh, for my 365xl even though that gun doesn't need much compensation but if you can have a concealed carry handgun shoot a little bit flatter that's always a bonus uh i've always been a fan of their products they've always made high quality products they've always done everything really really well with a, a Parker Mountain machine. Uh, so I am a big fan of this. And they're always innovative in a sense because they are innovative. And the reason why I say they're innovative is because I would have never thought to integrate the red dot side the way they did, not the red dot side, the rear, the rear side the way they did, um, the way they did, where they, the way they did here. I think it's pretty ingenious. Um, like I said, I like Parker Mountain Machine. They they make great stuff and they do great things. Uh, they're really innovative uh, when it comes down. I think they do slides also. Barrels are always good. Their comps are always nice. Uh, I think they do slides too. They're really nicely well designed also. Parker Mountain Machine just does really good aftermarket parts. I wonder if they would ever get into the trigger game. Because I would, I would be interested to see what Parker Mountain Machine would do with triggers. Even Glock triggers. And even SIG uh, P320 triggers and uh, Smith & Wesson M&P triggers. I would like to see what they do with triggers. I'm not sure they make triggers, to be honest with you. No, I don't think they do. But I would be interested to see what they would do with the triggers. Right. So uh, another article from the Firearms blog. Uh, link will be in the description, as always. Uh, Parker Mountains Machine Integrated Rear Sight, also known as the IDRS. All right, Parker Mountain Machine is a custom firearm manufacturer and producer of aftermarket firearms parts for all sorts of guns, including the SIG P320, Beretta M9, M9A3, MNBNT, APC9, and other firearms. They've just announced the release of a novel new item for the Trigicon SRO that I think improves upon the design of the already great optic. And I really am a big fan of uh, SROs, not the price point but of the of the optic and what it brings trigicon did a good job with that one um that thing improves the design of the already great optic introducing uh the parker mountain machine integrated rear sight available for available now for trigicon rmr rmrcc and sro okay so you can get it on the original you can get it on the original uh rmr which is nice all right so uh, park mount machine integrated rear sight the time has come our integrated rear sight is now an option on our sig and glock optics cuts come comes comes with both front and rear irons for correct co-witness available for the rmr the rmrcc sro and delta point pro optic on the sig p320 365 xl and Glock 26, 19, 19X, 17, 34, 43, 43X, and 48. Woo! 
all right uh we, we are apprehensive on doing this as of now due to the logistics involved with getting the proper hold on okay i was trying to read ahead a little bit because they broke apart the statement from uh parker mount machine all right so it's gonna run it's available i'm happy that it's available on delta points because i really like the delta points over the over the base rmr i feel like a delta point is a happy medium between the rmr and the sro because you have a bigger window and that's what i really love about the sro it's going to have the same footprint so plate footprint as an rmr but you're going to have a much bigger window because the thing about the rmr that i always thought was very restrictive of was your window uh, the you know the amount that you could see through the optic and it kind of since it's a square or a square or a box design on top it kind of limits you and the on the edges in the corners with that sro with that more circular for for that because the sro has that circular window you get more visual real estate through that optic than you did on the rmr and it's just better the price point isn't better that 700 dollars price point is kind of ugh. i know Trigicon comes with lifetime warranties if it breaks, bust, or whatever happens to it, you can send it back. But like six to six to eight hundred dollars, depending on where you buy it from, for an pistol optic. It's kind of steep, dog. <laughs> I'm just trying to get out of that kind of steep. But like I said, the Delta Point plays a good mix between those two. What I do like about it, uh. It comes with front and rear sight this uh this integrated rear sight system and it's co for so it's so it's properly co-witnessed and it's pretty much available for anything that you need man 320 365 um xl glock all the essentially all the glocks it goes glock 26 19 19x 17 34 43 uh 17 34 43 x48 so any glock you essentially want to put it on you can put it on all glocks <laughs> Um, so continuing with the article, this is a great example of a company seeing a need for a product instead of reinventing the wheel, they just approve upon it. Their SRO is a great optic. I have had the pleasure of using, and although it is a great optic, it has one major drawback. It is completely, it, that is drawback is that it completely covers the rear dovetail sight on almost every pistol. Parker Mountain Machine has found it ingenious way to integrate a backup iron sight into the sro's design by using existing holes in the side of the optic in the side of the optic to hold a new back iron to hold a new backup iron sight in place which can co-witness with the dot and the existing front sight post at the time of writing Parker Mount Machine is not selling the integrated site as a standalone product as it introduced too many variables that you can tip that your typical end user will not be able to account for without precision machining. We are apprehensive on doing this as of now due to the logistics involved with getting the proper proper front site relation in conjunction with the overall depth of of the overall depth of cut into the slide. So many people slide cuts. So many people cut slides and do them at different heights. It is impossible for us to account for all those variables. Jordan Legston, Parker Mountain Machine. Okay. So they're telling you why they 
they did what they did, which makes sense. So, yeah, that's pretty much about it. The article, um, he gives his final thoughts about the whoever, uh, who, who wrote this article. I don't want to say whoever. That's rude. Somebody took the time to write this article. Um, and I write articles for my blog, so I just don't want to say uh, whoever. That's rude. Uh, let me look here. Uh, Luke C., uh, who wrote this article, is giving his final thoughts about what he thinks about the, the integrated site from um, from uh, the integrated rear site from Parker Mountain Machine. I think it's a really good, uh, good idea. Sometimes you don't need to improve upon the wheel. You know what I'm saying? Not You don't need to reinvent it. They just improved upon proved upon it. They seen how they could improve upon it without making anything new and fancy. Sometimes you just got to improve upon the wheel, man. You don't have to reinvent it. And I like that Parker Mountain Machine just reinvented it. Sometimes uh, they really do innovative stuff and they make really good products. Uh, I am a fan of Parker Mountain Machine. I will continue to be. Um, I want to buy their products. Um, like I said, I want to buy their their barrel and comp for their 365 XL. Uh, I think that'll go well, my 365 XL. I think it'd be pretty dope. I should look into the price of it, figure out how much it is. But that's pretty much about it. Uh, like I said before, I apologize. I kept saying it was an integrated red dot site, which made technically no sense. It's a integrated rear site into the red dot, which is pretty dope. All right. That's pretty much about it for that article. Moving on next, we're going to talk about uh, something new here, uh, a new light from a company called Axion Optics uh, that I wanted to look into and find out a little bit more about. I'm going to read you the article, though, and we'll go from there. All right. Next up to bat is going to be uh, this new pistol light from Axion Optics. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, the main reason that is really, really interesting is the price. Uh, my main worry is holster compatibility. Uh, it looks like a. Who am I trying to think of? What company am I trying to think of? Not Streamlight. It looks like an Olight design Valkyrie. Um, I think is I think it's called an Olight Valkyrie. It's their smaller one. Uh, it looks kind of looks like uh, the 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 footprint is like a, a Olight Valkyrie. If I'm thinking of the right uh, thinking of the right optic, because Olight makes a few different pistol lights, which makes this one pretty pretty interesting here. Uh, the main thing that interests me about it when I uh, read this article uh, was the price point. It's a forty five dollar. It's a forty five dollar uh, pistol light with three hundred looms. 300 looms is solid for a pistol light. You don't need anything crazy. I know I have a, I have a couple of uh, Streamlight TRL TRL uh, TRL ones uh, that have like 800 looms, like 800 800 to a thousand looms. I can't remember which one it is. And like that's a lot of looms, man. You're washing yourself out in uh, closed environments, especially like in your home and stuff like that. You're not only um, blinding your potential perp, but you're also washing yourself out which isn't fun. So 300 looms for, for a pistol light is solid. I would say three to five is probably that sweet point where you can still get uh, your weapon to light on, on upon, upon target and not wash yourself out. So I think that's important. 
you want light, but you 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 don't want to wash yourself out. Like I've never personally heard of Axion Optics, uh, but this price point, this price point of forty five dollars, is what will make me consider buying one of these because, yeah, man, like that price point is like, I can't really beat that price point <laughs> for any optic for my TRL ones. I paid. I actually got lucky for my TRL ones. I've always bought them on sale on Amazon for like a hundred bucks, but um, they usually run about 150 bucks for those TRL ones from Streamlight, which are really solid lights. Um, yeah, so $45 versus, like I said, a hundred plus is the savings are beneficial. Now, what's gonna be the main question is holster fit for me. Uh, because what holster am I going to be able to run this light out of? And two, uh, longevity. Can I beat this light up and it's still going to take a, if it's going to take a beating and still keep on ticking? That'd be my second issue. All right, so let's get into the article here real quick. Those are just my general thoughts. All right, new affordable P MPL1 pistol light from Axion Optics. It's the headline. All right, to the article. Axion Optics presents the new MPL1 pistol light with 300 looms output. Powered by one AAA battery, the light can be set at various flash modes as well as a as well as constant on. With a very tender price, it looks like it would fit both the rail of the pistol and everyone's wallet. According to Axion, they have already made several there are already several holsters that work with it. Okay, all right, that's good because my thing was holster compatibility. That's going to be the big issue, man. Like I said, it looks, if I'm describing the right light, it looks like an Olight Valkyrie. That type of small design. That's what it looks like to me, Olight Valkyrie. All right, so here is the press release from uh, Axion Optics, Fort Smith, Arkansas, March 2021 axion optics a brand known for innovative shooting and outdoor op optic products has launched the new pl the new mpl1 pistol light with ergonomic rear switches featuring three light modes the exceptional lightweight and compact light delivers 300 looms ideal for self-defense handguns designed to maximize the threat identification, the Axion MPL1 ultra compact and lightweight pistol light is a slender option for a powerful flashlight mounted on your accessory rail equipped handgun. The MPL1 universally fits most popular handgun models and features a master on and off switch below the rail that is used to prevent accidental power to the light. With this, with a with the master switch engaged, the shooter can ambidextrously activate the dual instant on and off buttons located on the rear of the rail mounted light assembly the same buttons when the mp mpl1 is mounted are located just forward of the trigger guard and are used to conveniently switch modes from constant on to fast flash or momentary flash the mpl1 is powered by a single front accessible AAA battery and produces 300 looms for a consistent run time of 30 minutes, ideal for home, self-defense, and concealed carry handgun applications. The Axion MPL1 packs vital target identification and illumination capabilities into the smallest pistol light housing available for under-muzzle mounting applications like 
like other leading Axion products, technology meets affordability in the MPL1 at a very friendly MSRP of $44.99. See more on Axion's optics, MPL1, Pulse Light, and find more information about Axion products at axionoptics.com. All right, so that's pretty dope. Like I said, it's nice and small. $44 is the main selling point here to me. Even if you get a even if you get a, a average light, let's say this is a, a, a solid C light. If we were to, to get it ranked and graded, and it was just a solid C light, it's only $45. So it's awesome. It is awesome. Like, I don't feel like things have to be expensive to have quality to them. Like, yes, people have this notion that to get quality, you have to spend money. And I do agree with that notion for the most part, right? Because let's let's deal with cars here. I think cars make great analogies for a lot of things to compare firearms to. Right. Ford is a common everyday brands brands is a common every person brand. That's what I'm trying to get out. <laughs> is <laughs> a common every person brand. Mercedes is a luxury brand. Now, I have rental cars and going back home to visit family. I have driven a diverse selection of rental cars from the expensive to the cheap. And the feature sets and build quality and overall experience usually is better in the more expensive vehicles. Usually, like it is going to be for the... Uh, like it's like it's going to be for <clears throat> firearms. Now, I feel like you can still with firearms, you still have the ability to make something cheap and well made at a reasonable price. I don't think lights have to be I'm finna put. Uh, even though I, I use their products, I'm going to put Surefire on blast here. Surefire. For their 300 uh, UX light, which is a really, really phenomenal pistol light. It's like almost like 200. It's 200 to 300 dollars. Things like 250, 350. Why is that light that expensive? That's why I buy TRL ones. I get the same looms. The only the only advantage to to uh, the uh, the 300 UX or the 300 X from Surefire is the pressure switches in the back so you can just hit the pressure switches to activate the light or the flash or the you know the flash or the momentary on it's just a push of the button with your index finger and it's nice it makes life a lot easier with the trl1 system uh it's a switch which is easy to learn how to operate once you get it to get to it's just learning your gear but why is that optic more and like I know the TRL's one build quality is solid because I compete in the tactical games and I usually run a light on my pistols because that's how I usually shoot my pistols. Uh, even if I because I either run a Glock 17 or Glock 34 or my um, why am I going blank here or my uh, 2011 and that pistol is getting beat up. You know what I'm saying I'm getting in, I'm putting that pistol in the dirt unfortunately. Uh, you know, it's getting beat upon stuff. 
you know what I'm saying, um, environments and stuff like that, you know what I'm saying, I've beat those optics up. And those Surefire, not those Surefire, but those TRL1 optics have ran flawless. Those lights have ran flawlessly. They're scratched up to shit, but they haven't broken on me. And they've been great lights. So that's what I'm saying. That's a really quality light for like half the price of the Surefire lights. So why am I paying $300 for that light? Is my conundrum. And then my question at the same time to Surefire. And I know you're I know you're providing very quality. I buy Surefire products. I have your comp I, I mainly buy your compensators. I have all my rifles run war comps. And I have your blast diffuser. And I want to get your suppressors because I I got your war comps, liked your war comps, liked your blast diffuser, the warden. And I wanted all my rifles to run surefire comps because I have a buddy that has a surefire, uh, not not surefire comps, surefire suppressors. Because I have a buddy that has a surefire suppressor, and I like the quick detachment system. Now, uh, Dead Air Silencer makes a better detachment system, which I didn't find out until about until later. But I still like surefire's detachment system when it comes down to their suppressors messing with my buddies and i think they just overall make good suppressors they make good quality suppressors so i'm not saying that i'm not knocking and i also think their their war comp is a little expensive but i love them so i continue to buy them uh because that's the price they that's the price they can they can ask the market and the market if the market's going to give it to them that's what they're going to charge so ain't hating them on that kind of ain't, ain't hating on capital uh uh i'm not hating on capitalism i'm just saying like why i gotta be so expensive if you can give me legitimate reasons to why it's that more expensive than the Streamlight that I beat the piss out of and still runs like a charm, then come holler at me, dog. And then I'll and then I'll be more willing to pay that three hundred dollars. But for me, things a little it's it's, it's a little uh, high on price. Um, but finding a light at forty five dollars and like I said, even if it's C, C, just average. At $45, $300 looms, you got a constant on flash uh, and momentary flash. Triple A battery, 30-minute runtime for a constant on, which is short but decent enough. So fuck, it's a deal in the steel. I was about to cuss. I had to stop myself. It's a deal in the steel, man. Simple as that. Simple as that. So, um... I might end up grabbing one just to try it out, see what I think. My thing about it, which I'm probably gonna have to read more into, is the uh, is the holster compatibility. That's gonna be big for me uh, because if it doesn't have, uh, if I can't find a holster that's compatible with it, that's gonna be an issue for me, and that's gonna take away from that take away from that light. But I think the value that is presenting, what you're getting. And for the value that's presented, I think it's a good proposition. And I think if you're interested in it, you should look more into it. I'm going to leave a link to the description of the article as normal. So if you want to look into the article, you can. But yeah, that is uh, that is the Axion Optics MPL1 pistol light. 300 looms, constant on, momentary uh, in two flash settings. It's like the strobe. And then it's like a quicker flash is the way I would describe it. How 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 did they describe it? Uh, 
how to describe it. Hold on, switch modes. So you got constant on, fast flash, and momentary flash. So yeah, so I know what constant on is just on. Got the strobe flash. I call the strobe flash the fast flash. The strobe flash, boom, 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 like a strobe light, and then the momentary, the momentary flash. So I feel like it's just. Um, you're lighting, you're hitting it, and it's popping on real quick and turning off. A moment. That's why. I can, that's why I think of when I think of momentary flash. But like I said, I think it has a lot to offer as a pistol. For thirty bucks is a is a is a real really good deal. All right, let me start running my suck on this uh, on this optic, on this uh, pistol light, which I think is a good steal in the deal. Like I said, even if it's average. Next, we will be discussing, uh, recovery tacticals new uh brace for the mmp pistol lineup all right stand by get to that next all right next we're going to be talking about uh recoveries tactical 20 slash 22 stabilizer kit for smith and wesson pistols okay now for those who don't know uh, about Recovery Tactical, Recovery Tactical makes a lot of pistol stabilizing braces for just uh, mainly for Glock. But you can kind of think of them like Flux, but without the price point of Flux. Um, or who's another one that makes stabilizing braces? Uh, CAA, but CAA uh, stabilizing braces like the little, this is not even a little, little stabilizing brace. That's a drop in essentially. They're going to be a little bit more expensive. Uh, I feel like a more adequate description of of recovery tacticals uh, stabilizer kits are more akin to Flux. They're like a cheaper version of Flux. Um, I've never tried one of their stabilizer braces. I know they make them for Glocks. I think they make them for 320s also. I'm not sure. But all they are is just a very, very cheaper a very a very cheaper version of a flux brace they seem pretty compact too i'm looking at photos of how they fold and stuff like that they seem pretty compact uh, but that's all it is it's just a cheaper version of a flux stabilizer brace for your pistol uh it has picatinny rails on the side so you can mount a light or anything that you wanted to it if you wanted to uh and it also has a little bottom rail if you want to add like an accessory like a foregrip or whatever you can do that uh you only have one mag though i like the flux oh well it's kind of like the original flux design for the glocks i like the flux raiders uh system for the 320 because that front like mag it has like a front mag well to hold a spare mag which also doubles as a a foregrip which is pretty dope all right so uh like I said, so for those who don't understand or who, those who haven't heard of Recovery Tactical, they are like a more budget-friendly version of Flux. Uh, they make uh, stabilizing braces for Glocks and I think 320 pistols. Uh, now they're adding M&P pistols onto that lineup. So Recovery Tacticals, uh, headline of the article, Recovery Tacticals 20-22 Stabilizer Kit for Smith & Wesson M&P Pistols. All right. At SHOT Show 2020, Recovery Tactical debuted their 2020 Glock Stabilizer Kit and Holster 
for 9 mil and 40 Smith and Wesson Glock models with a rail. These kits are really easy to install. They deploy quickly and they're affordable. Um, Flex is going to be a little bit more expensive. Flex is going to cost you anywhere, I think, two to three for their Glock stabilizers. And then for their Flex rate, it's going to cost you a five for that setup. Uh, the 2020 stabilizers for the Glock start, start out at just $99. Uh, they've since released their MG9 angled grip for Glock mag holders and optics mounts to go along with their 2020 stabilizers. So what that's essentially telling you is that they are accessorizing this uh their their platform which is nice to know that you can get appropriate accessories for it which is pretty dope uh that they're not just building the stabilizer and the the stabilizer they're building accessories to go along with the stabilizer to further broaden the capabilities of uh their stabilizer kits which i think is pretty dope uh they're also working on their 20 2021 their 20 20 slash 21 Glock stabilizer kits for 10 mil and 45 ACP Glock models with a rail. That's going to be pretty dope. Uh, those are currently available for pre-order and should be available by the end of March, 2021. They got their MG 45 angle mag holders for the 20 slash 21 on the way as well. Okay. So that's dope. So like I was saying before, how flux on their Raider has the angle grip that can hold the extra mag. They're doing that also with uh recovery tacticals also doing that for their for their stabilizing kit i actually like that i actually like that now now makes it very very competitive with uh with flux in that regard all right uh continuing on with the article I'm trying to figure out uh well recovery tactical recently announced they're working on their 20 slash 22 stabilizer kit for smith and wesson mmp9 and 40 smith and wesson full-size pistol models. Their 20-22 stabilized kits for MMP are pretty much identical to their Glock kits. They'll, they'll be available in either black or tan in the following, con following configurations. 20-22B stabilizer frame with brace, stabilizer frame, brace with strap, charging handles, high-slash-low profile. 20-22S stabilizer frames, stabilizer frame, stabilizer Stabilizer frame, brace with strap, charging handles, low low slash high profile, minimalist sling, Picatinny side rails, 20 slash 22 H stabilizer frame, brace with strap, charging handles, low slash high profile, minimalist sling, Picatinny side rails, G7 holster with pistol adapter can be used without the 20 the 20 slash 22 stabilizer brace. The 20 slash 22 UR stabilizing frame, brace with strap, charging handles, high, I mean, low slash high profile, minimalist lane, Picatinny side rails, G7 holster with pistol adapter, and upper rail. Okay, just everything in your mama. All right, <laughs> on the last one. So it sounds like you're getting your basic setup, your basic setup plus a little bit more. Uh, so 22B is your basic setup. 22S is going to add the, the Picatinny side rails. 22H is going to add the Picatinny side rails with the, with the holster, right? And then the 22UR is going to add everything else with the upper rail. All right, so it's just it's just a tier system of adding, of adding features onto it. Uh, and just like their Glock kits starting 
uh, start pricing starts just, pricing starts at just ninety nine dollars and ninety five cents. The kits include a lifetime warranty and a ninety day money back guarantee. If it sucks, send it back. the The twenty slash twenty two stabilized kits are currently on pre order at recoverytactical.com and should be shipping by the end of March twenty twenty one. In case you missed it, hop on recovery. Uh, in case you missed it, hope hop actually review the recovery tactical 20 slash 20 kit check it out below all right so if you want to check out a review of it from the firearms block you can um i like i like how it's scalable right the big thing with with firearms with me is this modularity and scalability like how modular is your platform and how can it scale for me as a as 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 a user right because modularity the inner interoperability of components and scalability is important how can how can i adapt this system to fit my needs and it seems like recovery tactical is doing that well on how you can grow uh because let's say I just got the stabilizer brace set up, right? Let's say I got this. Let's say I bought this, the the twenty slash twenty two B, which is going to be the stabilizer frame, brace with strap, charging handles. Let's say I just got that, and I just want to see if I liked it. Now I found out that I liked it. Now I can build. I can build upon it because I that that's just a base template. It has modularity built into it so it can scale, which is dope. Like, if you're going to give me modularity, just give me good solid modularity where I can scale. You know who does good solid modularity that you can scale with their rifle systems and they're trying to come out with a pretty, pretty dope, dope ass design? Strike Industries. Strike Industries doesn't, they're very innovative and sometimes they don't just try to reinvent the wheel, they just improve upon the wheel. Sometimes they, they invent stuff that you never thought that you needed that you're like, hmm, that's actually pretty dope. I can see where I can use that. That makes it makes it beneficial to the user. But um yeah, uh when you look at their in-house stuff for like their complete pistols that they're doing now and like their complete rifles, all that stuff is modular and scalable within their ecosystem, but it's just modular and scalable. Same thing here. Recovery Tactical is having a situation where their situation is modular and scalable. That's I think that's what the industry needs to needs to start doing and recognizing that modularity that can be scaled upwards is going to be is going to be where it's at. I'm I'm interested in this. Uh, I probably will watch a review of the Glock one because I never personally watched it. Uh, I'm curious to see what it's all about, and then just go from there. Um, like I said, I hate to call it this, and I feel like I'm doing Recovery Tactical a disservice when i say this in recovery i'm not trying to i'm not trying to diss you man i am not because i think you're providing a really good service and you have really good concepts and you're making uh a more price accommodating version of the flux concept i feel like it, it's the poor man's flux there i said it that's what i was trying to say i feel like it's the poor i feel like it's the poor man's flux um I wonder if they have this for the 320. If they don't, I think they really should. I think it's a good idea. Um, I think it's a really good idea for them to have this for the 320. Um, 
I would design some things differently on it visually as I'm looking about uh, on it. Um, I would redesign the front end that connects to the trigger guard a little bit to slim it down, make it more ergonomic, then make it a little bit more appealing to the eye. But other than that, I wouldn't touch much on this stabilizing brace. I'm pretty sure it's made out of a strong polymer, so it's going to last and you be beat up and you're going to be Gucci. That'd be that'd be me, man. That, that'd be me. So. That's just my that's just my concepts, man. I think I think they're after something good. If you uh, have a Smith and Wesson pistol, I would check them out, man. Uh, I'll check out recovery tactical and see what you think. Look into getting a stabilizer kit. Because I'm pretty sure Flux doesn't make one for MP. I know Flux just makes them for Glock and uh for Glock and uh I'm gonna blank six hour. So I would definitely look into them. Uh like I said, links will be in the description below, but I will look into uh recovery tactical stuff. All right. Um next we're gonna talk about uh the increase in the prices of ammo from Winchester. Uh, they let out a open letter to customers uh, about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, letting them know that there's going to be a price increase again uh, on ammo. And it is moving forward, uh, this new price increase. All right. So stand by for that article. All right. Next article. We're going to be discussing a price increase, all right, um, when it comes down to ammo. Ammo has been on a price surge just because of scarcity. And basically, it's scarcity. Basically, the reason why we have a price increase in ammo is because of scarcity and that these ammo manufacturers can't keep up with some, uh, the demand. All right, so when you have an increase of demand and you can't meet and you can't meet the production quotas, then you're going to have this thing called scarcity, which is going to naturally dive up, drive up the price of the product. Basically, economics 101, peeps. All right. So due to this scarcity, right, and this uh, this ammo backlog, right, because uh, Vista Outdoors, uh, Vista Outdoors or Vista Outdoors, somebody else, I think it was federal, said they are on a year back order. So they're they have they have orders from a year ago, they still need to fulfill. And that equals out to about a billion dollars. One billion dollars. So this has been good for the industry, right? Because one, it's keeping these people employed. Business is booming for these ammo manufacturers, but it has also hurt the ammo price because 2019 ammo price, let's go two years now. Two, let's go back two years, 2019. When ammo prices were good and prices were reasonable, and you can buy, I'm trying to think how much you could buy a box of a thousand rounds for back in the day. It's been so long, I haven't even looked into it, and I haven't even looked at it now. But it was way cheaper. <laughs> it was way cheaper than it is now, right? And I never really bought ammo full price because, luckily, uh, I work at a gun range, and when we bought ammo by the case back in the day. We will only have to pay price plus 10%. So I was buying ammo cheaper than anybody else was anyway. So I couldn't even give you a true market value price because I was buying it cheaper. 
than other people were. So <laughs> um, this article is also going to be from the Fires blog. Um, uh, price increase. I also wrote an article about this uh, too on the loadout blog, but I couldn't find it for some reason because uh, it was from a couple weeks ago and I didn't want to keep scroll scrolling through uh, my archives to find it. Uh, but so I just went to the firearms blog article. So the firearms blog article headline is price increase announced for Winchester and Browning ammunition. Right. Continuing on with the article, current ammo prices are painful. If you've been shooting for a while, you'll understand this all too well. The shortage of essential all common calibers has absolute has absolutely uh, rampant. The shortage of essential all common calibers has absolutely ran rampant for months and the basic laws of supply and demand are being felt across the industry, which I already explained before. Demand has spiked, supply has dropped, and so has cost and so cost is soaring. He doesn't he's right. Demand has spiked, right? The supply has dropped, right? So we've debate we've which has created a supply and demand crisis, which leads to scarcity, which leads to the price of of ammo soaring. That's the real economics 101 of it all. Scarcity. Unfortunately, 2020, uh, unfortunately, 2020 saw a perfect storm of logistics, social, and political pressure that put an unsustainable strain on essential all ammo man on essentially all ammo manufacturers operating in the US market at the time of writing, at the time of this writing, even the cheapest steel case 223 ammo is often selling in excess of 60 cents per cost, 60 cent cost per round. And that's even, and, and even, and even that is selling out fast. Goodness gracious. <laughs> All right. He missed that in the article. Uh, 60 cents per cost per round and even then it's selling out fast okay it makes sense all right all right i was my mind was just reading back backwards my my dyslexia in full effect all right many companies <laughs> have been forced to institute price hikes over the over the last year or so and contrary to common rumors these increase increases have not been a matter of gouging in most cases if not all this has sadly been Necessary to sustain to sustain what levels of production that are still possible. Unfortunately, it looks like there's not much there's not much light showing at the end of the tunnel quite yet. On March twenty second, twenty twenty one, Winchester and Browning Ammunition released the following announcement detailing another upcoming set of price increases taking effect May first. So this was an open letter to customers, right? that was written on March 22nd, 2021. The letter reads, to all Winchester ammo ammunition customers, thank you for your commitment to Winchester and Browning ammunition in support of our legendary products. Due to the increased cost inputs for manufacturing ammunition, it is necessary to increase ammunition prices for all shipments, including back orders beginning May 1st, 2021. Ammunition will be subject to the following price increases. Shot shells. 5 to 12 percent, 22 Magnum rimfire ammunition, 10 percent, hunting rifle ammunition, 5 to 15 percent, all center fire rifle, uh, full metal jacket ammunition, 8 percent, 
all center fire pistol ammunition, 8% and components, 10% primers, 25% due to our current back order situation. Still further notice until further notice, Winchester is not accepting new orders on primers. These, these May 1st, 2021 increases will affect all packed sizes, sub brands and special makeups. All existing orders and future orders shipped on or after May 1st, 2021 will be shipped at the new prices unless you notify us requesting cancellation. Uh, procedures for repricing back and future orders will be issued with new price lists and programs in the incoming weeks. Yeah, man. That's pretty much about it. Uh the writer of the article gives his final thoughts about it. But yeah, ammo's going to be expensive for a while. I don't know how long because for the firearms industry under the Biden administration, it he is trying to put the boots on the necks of the firearms industry and the community because he believes that the average American citizen shouldn't be able to own firearms for the most part. He's already said he wants to ban AR-15, the AK-47, and everything like that. This administration is very anti-gun. They feel like guns are the social ills of the world that are leading us down this path. I don't believe that to be so. Uh, I believe there's a lot of social, economic, and other factors that lead to violence. Uh, we all know poverty leads to violence within the inner cities. There's a lot of social economic stuff that leads to all this stuff. Violence is he Democrats and all politicians, they look to the answer to find to 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 remedy the violence, right? Instead of looking to the instead of looking to the precursors and the symptoms that led to the violence, they look at the violence and say, what did he perpetrate the violence with? What did he or she perpetrate the violence with? Right. They perpetrate with a gun. Firearms need to be banned. Right. I feel like. If if then what if they ban guns and knives become the big thing? Well, ban knives. Because. They're only looking at the end result before extreme acts of violence occur. I'm getting off on a small tangent here before extreme acts of violence occur. There's always pre there there are always precursors to that violence, and it might not necessarily be violence because people think precursors to violence means that they had already violent tendencies and criminal activity beforehand. No, because as we've seen with all these precursors to violence, uh, like with the young man over in Boulder or the 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 young man over in Boulder who who uh killed people in that horrific shooting. Uh, to the guy over in Georgia, they were all. You would have never suspected them because they had no legal. They had no legal history of violence or anything like that. It's an explosion. So it's a there's precursors that lead to these extreme acts of violence. If we can recognize those precursors and figure out how to uh, disarm these people from essentially exploding to these extreme acts of violence, then we'll we'll have reduced violence. And the truth of the matter be is the uh, truth of the matter is that overall violence is down in America and gun violence has actually been down over the last few years. Uh, it probably took an uptick 
due to 2020 and all that nonsense. But over the past few years and in general, violent crimes and violent and violent crimes can uh, uh, conducted with firearms, a.k.a. especially handguns have been down over the last few years, according to FBI statistics. So. With the Biden administration being very anti-gun and looking to restrict ammunition and firearms because they're trying to restrict it. They're trying to restrict ammunition sales. They're trying to ban the sale of online ammunition. They're trying to make it to where that uh, every thousand rounds of ammunition that it has to be reported to some agency. I think if I remember in HR, if I'm understanding HR 1207 correctly, it's just straight up infringements, man. Just because they don't like guns, because they see guns, certain background to my bigger point, they see guns as their problem to violence. And they see restriction of ammunition and firearms as a way to reduce that violence. But that's not true because you're looking at the you're looking at the end result of the violence, not looking at the precursors and the symptoms of the causes that led to that violence, which they don't understand, man. Violence is dynamic and complex, and it's not an easy answer. And just banning the tool doesn't mean that people that that tool won't be. Won't meta won't have a metamorphosis. That the truth that the tool won't morph. Can't use guns, I'll use knives. Can't use knives, I'll use cars. Can't use cars, I'll use, you know, I'll use bats. You know what I'm saying? We as humans are naturally very, very at times predatory against each other. And we are just naturally violent against each other. We've been fighting wars and fighting each other since the dawn of humanity to be King Dingalane. In whatever regard that might be, that might be country, that might be on a personal level, that might be on a tribal level. We have fought for eons, thousands of years to be King Dingling, to be Alphas. And there are some of us that are predators that only are there to harm other humans because they're wired that way they're just wired to be predators and we have to be smart about it but yeah ammo prices aren't going to get any cheaper especially with the biden administration and how they're trying to crack down and the biden administration has been the biggest seller the fear of the biden administration the biden administration itself has been the biggest seller of firearms has been the biggest seller of firearms. And it's, I, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. Um, and it will continue to be. It will absolutely continue to be. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, pretty much about it for that one. I think I'm going to cover one more. I've getting into the tangent world and I'm trying not to go into the tangent. So I'm just going to wrap it up right there. My apologies for being blunt uh, on that one. Just kind of stopping. Uh, my train of thought, but I don't want to get too much into into that because I'll go down a I'll go down a rabbit hole. No need to go down a rabbit hole. I'm gonna do one more article. Uh, it's kind of like a, I guess you can call it more of a lighthearted article in my mind. I consider it one. Um, it is going to be uh about Sandman making a limited edition FDE uh suppressor, and that'll be that'll wrap it up for this week's episode of the gear room i'll talk about that uh sandman suppressor by dead air um and that'll wrap it up
All right, last article of the day. And then we'll wrap up. <laughs> we'll probably roll into my final thoughts. We will roll into my final thoughts. Get my Jerry Springer on. Give me my final thoughts for the week. <laughs> All right, but the last article of the day is also going to be another uh, article from the Firearms blog. It is going to be uh, Dead Air Sandman as Suppressor and Limited Run FDE. So I like uh, Dead Air Suppressors. Like First time I ever had experience of firing one was shot show 2020 or or 2019 one or the other uh i had a chance to shoot one and i was surprised how one how well they worked uh on reducing uh the sound signature and two their quick dispatch system was dope they, they they have i think the best quick detach system in the in, in the industry uh, and I think more people should, this is even including you, Surefire, should build more compensators that work with uh, Dead Air Silencer's um, QD, uh, QD system. Because I think they make some of the best suppressors on the market. That's my personal opinion, dog. They make some of the best suppressors on the market. I've shot Surefire suppressors, and I feel personal opinion dead air silencers outclassed them on noise reduction felt recoil and overall quick detach system is superior i even told to do that and i was like dude like all my guns run surefire war comps because i thought i was gonna best in a surefire suppressor because you know i shot a surefire suppressor i really liked it because i shot my buddies and now i see your guys' products and i want to use your stuff and it's like the dude told me he was the market, one of the marketing directors. He said, dude, I appreciate that. But you've invested so much time into Surefire. Surefire makes really good suppressors. He said, I honestly own Surefire suppressors also. He was like, bro, just invest in your Surefire suppressor. He was like, I know I shouldn't be saying this, but I will admit that Surefire makes good suppressors. I own Surefire suppressors also as long as and as I also own dead airs. So I'm giving a shout out to, to Dead Air in that regard because, like I said, I completely, completely believe in their suppressors. I think they make some of their best, best suppressors on the market. If you if you know of a better suppressor company, holler at, let me know in the comments below of a better suppressor company or a suppressor company that you like more than Dead Air. Another suppressor company I'm really interested in is Rugged Suppressors. I follow them on Instagram, but I don't know much about them. I've heard good things reading into forums about them, but I've never had any personal experience with them. All right. So if you know of any other good suppressors that I should look into or that I should consider thinking beyond getting uh, the Surefire uh, suppressor that I planned on getting, let me know in the comments below. Uh, I like to hear your thoughts on that one. Okay. All right. So getting into the article itself. I already kind of read the headline already. Dead man, air set man, Sandman S suppressors and limited run FDE. Right. So over the years, dead air silencers has become a dominant force in the suppressed shooting game from the sound suppression performance to feature sets and innovations to lifespan and durability. Most of the time you'll be hard, have a hard time beating the value proposition that dead air cans bring to the table. Founder Mike Pappas. And his Utah-based team continue to grace the, grace the market with excellent products at competitive prices. 
and sell these cans just about as fast as they can produce them. In addition to the commercial market, Dead Air also manufactures for some military contracts, and they eventually introduced a run of their Sandman S model and FDE on 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 one of these .gov for one of these .gov customers. Unfortunately, there's a small batch of contract. Unfortunately, fortunately, oh, now unfortunately, fortunately, there's a small batch of contract overrun cans that have now been released for public purchase. If you want a dead air silencer in a color other than the standard black or shiny, uh, shiny tin finishes, finishes their they're typically typically in you can you can have one act fast however these numbers will be limited for availability check silencer shop or contact your preferred local uh, nfa dealer to ask whether they will be receiving any inventory or request that they do do so for you all right dead airs fde sandman s social media announcement this is not a joke. Who's grabbing our military contract, Sandman S and FDE? We are giving clearance to release this can to civilian market, and there are only a limited number available. Make sure you tag tag your home silencers because they will go fast. All right, tag. Hashtag no quarter. All right. I wonder why they have to ask permission from the military to release that that's my only question as i was reading this article that's the only thing i found interesting why would i have to ask the military so the contract's complete military said we got enough of these suppressors we good dog whatever contract it was come from let's say it was a military or law enforcement agency they did this contract they say you know what dog we good we're going to end this contract here why would they need to get in contact with the contract if i'm understanding that right they they had to get clearance to get to be removed from the contract to allow to do that. I don't understand why I would have to be able to do that, dog. I made a product for you. You told me we may end up making more than you end up actually needing. I should be able, since I've fulfilled that contract as the company, I should be able to sell them. I should be able to sell them to the civilian market. That's just my personal opinion, but I could be wrong. Maybe there's more to the contract details that I don't know and understand, which is probably true because that air said they had to get a uh, clearance from the contract to sell it to the civilian market and now if you want an fde one uh a fde um sandman s supplies are limited they don't say how many there is i would contact your local dealer uh like the standard version uh the fde seracoded s sandman s measures 6.8 inches long with a 1.5 inch diameter and weighs in at 17.7 17.7 ounces it's compatible with a variety of common calibers, including 5.56 NATO, Sam 6.2 NATO, 300 Blackout, 6.5 Creedmoor, 300 Winchester, damn, uh, 30.6 Springfield, and many more. The Sandman S is listed with an MSRP of $1,000 of $1,069. And of course, these will be subject to the $200 tax stamp legally required for all end users suppressor purchases. Thanks, NFA. <laughs> dead air can uh dead air cans are also backed by legendary customer service and support. So you can be confident about spending your hard-earned cash or stimmy bucks on one 
on some of the best hearing protection money can buy. Uh, and with and with a special FDE run, your gun won't just shoot better. It'll look better. <laughs> See you at the range. All right. So my thing with suppressors is that I want one. I've always wanted a suppressor. I've wanted a couple of different suppressors. I want a suppressor for my 224 Valkyrie DMR that I built. I would like a uh, 5.56 suppressor where I can shoot 5.56 and hope 5.56 and I think they're in the blackout out of. Uh, I could be wrong on that one. Um, I want a suppressor for that. Um, suppressors are cool, man. I wish we were like, uh, I can't remember which, which country it is. I want to say it's like Sweden or maybe it's one of the, it's one of the European countries. Uh, that you can buy suppressors like you buy firearms. What I mean by that, when you go into the store to buy a firearm, they have suppressors next to firearms. And just say, let's say I want to go into this country. I can't remember which country it is. I want to say it's like Sweden. I think it is. Um, I can go into this country in Europe. Let's use Sweden as the example. I think I might, I think it's Sweden, but I might be wrong. Uh, I'm going off the top of the dome here. Let's say I, I live in Sweden. I want to buy a firearm, right? I go into the store. You got to get a license, which I don't like, but let's say I go into the store. I want to buy a firearm. I want to buy a pistol, right? I like that pistol right there. Give me that Glock 17. Uh, do you guys have a threaded barrel for it? Oh, you do sell a threaded barrel for it? Let me get a threaded barrel for it also, and let me get that suppressor. And the only thing that you're paying for, only thing that you're paying for is suppressor. You don't have to buy a tax stamp. Which is dope. You shouldn't have to pay a tax stamp for a suppressor here. Why is a suppressor an NFA item anyway? It's hearing conservation. Suppressors are cool, man. Suppressors are all about hearing conservation and noise pollution. And I think the reason why suppressors are <clears throat> suppressors in foreign countries is about hearing conservation. About hearing conservation and about noise pollution, right? Because some of these ranges are near people's homes and stuff like that outdoor ranges i'm talking about near people home like that and they don't want to hear big old loud guns going off around their properties makes sense to me you know what i'm saying um and it's about like i said it's about uh hearing conservation and about noise pollution because guns are loud i'll be the first one to admit that i love shooting guns but guns are loud guns are even doper with suppressors um i wish we didn't have that i wish we didn't have that stupid $200 tax stamp for, for a suppressor. And then a long wait time. We should just be able to buy a suppressor like we buy firearms. I should be able to walk into a store like the, like the example I just gave. Buy a Glock 17, Gen 5 or Gen 4, Gen 3, whatever I want to buy. Buy a threaded barrel. Be able to buy a suppressor all at once. Walk out the, walk out the door with it the same day. I should be able to buy a suppressor now. Go down to a local gun store like, hey man, let me get that suppressor there. You want this one? Yeah, I want this one. All right, cool, man. That's going to be this much plus tax. All right, and walk out the door with it. There's no need for suppressors to be on the NFA list. On on on, on the NFA. It's just a way for them to, to control everything. That's what the NFA is. The National Firearms Act, since they can't ban it, they want to control it. And they want to charge you for owning something. That does no harm. But it's actually a benefit. It's all about control, man. Gun gun legislation and gun and uh gun slash gun legislation is all about control, man. It's all about power. That's what people gotta realize, man. It's it's real, real blatantly obvious. That's what it's all about.
All right, man. But like, like I said, if you want to get your hands on one of these dead air uh, Sandman suppressors, they're on a limited run, man. Check your local, check your local uh, distributor, see if they have any. If they don't, see if they can get some. I don't know how many they're uh, they have. I think they're being potentially coy about that uh, to not only one boost up interest to let you know the rarity of it all and to um yeah and just keep you people foaming out of the mouth for it but like i said i think dead man makes some of the best suppressors on the market if you know anybody that makes a better suppressor than than dead man leave it in the comments below and let me know man because i'm really curious uh to see who makes a better suppressor um then saying man i think they make I think they're on top of the suppressor game. Like I said, I'm really interested in rugged suppressors also. I think they made really good suppressors also. All right. Now, time to wrap up this podcast with my final thoughts. Get my Jerry Springer on real quick, and then that'll be it. And then we'll get into the closing after that. All right. Now it's time for my final thoughts. All right. For this week's podcast. Now, there was a lot going on in the industry this week. Um, there was a lot going on. Some of it I didn't cover. Uh, but what I like about the what I, what I like seeing in the industry is that we're healthy, that we're being innovative and creative, and that even though we're having some hardships right now because we don't know what's going on in the future that we're still, we're still, we're still flourishing. Right. Sig coming out with the new tread, tread predator rifle, Barry getting that, that 50 mil for the U S army for the precision sniper rifle. You know what I'm saying? Parker Mountain machine being innovative with the integrated rear sight for, uh, Trigicon RMRs and SROs and, uh, RMRCCs, right? Recovery tactical expanding their lineup now uh spending their uh, stabilizer kit uh stabilizer kit or stabilizing brace uh now covering us uh, MP pistols right axion op axion optics making that new affordable uh mpl1 pistol light the unfortunate price increase and then sandman making some limited edition a limited run fde line that they got from a contract that they were able to sell it shows the health of the industry, right? That we're still making stuff. We're still putting stuff out there and that we're growing, right? That's good. We're facing, we're going to face some challenges over the next four years, right? I'm going to probably try to hit that up in the next podcast. The whole bump stock thing, Biden's policies, new policies he's trying to introduce, these new bills, new bills and not bills, but new legislation he's trying to introduce. The Democrats trying to introduce. It's a lot, man, but it seems like the industry is being resilient. But what we need more than anything, we need more unity. And this is what I mean by unity. We need a unity of purpose, right? We need to change. We need to be on a unified front and train and change the narrative, right? And changing the narrative is not just spitting out facts. It's a cultural thing. And what do you mean by it's a cultural thing? I know Colin Noir always says that we're fighting a cultural war when it comes down to the Second Amendment. And he is right. And what I mean by it's a cultural thing is that we have to show people 
what the firearms industry and culture is really about and be more inviting and more understanding to the fears that come along with it. Because the only the only reason people fear guns, one, because they've been taught to fear guns, two, out of ignorance. Me working in firearms, especially working at a machine gun range, uh, Battlefield Las Vegas, I meet a lot of foreigners. I would say about 80 to 85 percent of our clientele are foreigners. Um, with that being the case, most of these people have never seen a, a live firearm or have never seen or touched a live firearm in their lifetimes. And they have a lot of apprehension, a lot of fears around them, and they have a lot of misconceptions about them. And a lot of times I've ran into a lot of customers, especially women who are absolutely fearful of shooting these firearms. And I've ran into men like that, too, absolutely fearful of shooting these firearms, but they want to shoot them. And then once you give them over that initial fears and they find out that shooting is fun and that guns aren't bad. And that there's just bad people doing bad things with them. Their perception changes. And we have to change people's perceptions. And we don't change people's perceptions. And I think this is where a lot of our heavyweights within the industry miss. We don't change perceptions by spitting facts and telling them where they're wrong. You get what I'm saying? Because calling on the war makes really, really good rebuttal videos that have a lot of history, depth, and legalese in them. Legalese that we can all understand. But he gives a lot of history, a lot of depth, and a lot of background to his arguments, which is always needed. And I appreciate the brother for that. He's always does good that racket veteran, 88, 88, all the other people that are bigger in the industry that speak out of that are vocal, uh, vocal proponents to this infringement of our rights always do. You can spit facts all day and night, but that's not the way to reach these people. You have to reach these people with hearts and minds. We have to do a hearts and mind campaign. I know people in the military roll their eyes. Hearts and mind campaigns don't work. But that's what the media and the left does. They're they're winning them over by emotion. I'm not saying we need to win them over by emotions, but we can't just speak to them. We just can't spit, spit to them facts. We have to we have to resonate with them on another level because facts don't matter to them. That's why I think we should do PSAs and not the PSAs that I've seen going around. Uh, I think gun owners of America did a PSA and it was an informative PSA. I think those PSA that the NRA does and those gun PSAs from back in the days, like gun crime is this and this and that and the other. This is why you need a gun. This is why the, I don't think those PSAs work because they have no humanity behind them. What we need for this industry to continue to grow and to beat this next onslaught of, of bills and stuff like that, we need better messaging and that we need to appeal to the more human side of Americans and let Americans see the community in a different light. That's by that's why doing PSAs, but not PSAs, the ones I mentioned, just informative PSAs, but PSAs. When you have a woman who's used a firearm in the defense of herself, or you have a person who's used a firearm in the defense of their home, or, you know, a person where shooting has saved them and being rehabilitative to them. Prime example, uh, what Chris Kyle's foundation was trying to do before he passed away, 
a way for vets who are dealing with PSD to interact and talk with each other and to bond around something that they enjoy doing, doing together, which was shooting and just talking and just shooting the breeze, man. I think people, if people, if we met people more at those, if we met people more with that, the industry will be better off for it. We have to appeal. We have to, we have to get an emotional resonance resonance with these people and appeal to them in a different way that we wouldn't normally wouldn't appeal to them. Because I can spit facts to you, dog. But my thing about people spitting facts, are you coming up with any real solutions? And I will be the first one to say I haven't really came up with any real solutions. I feel like the real solutions to the problems we face with the violence is looking at the precursors that lead to the violence and figure out ways to implement systems and warning signs that people can understand that we can limit that type of violence, right? Because it's a silence of complicity, of complicitness that leads to this. Because we'll see a person that might be having some mental anguish or some stuff like that, and they're like, I don't want to miss them. I don't want to miss that dude. That dude's crazy. You know what I'm saying? Maybe that dude just needs somebody to talk to. Maybe that dude needs somebody just to reach out to him. Maybe there's warning signs of violent behavior and stuff like that that family members see and they never they never say anything about it, right? But they see they see the they see the state the the hay the state the hay being stacked upon the camel and then that final straw happens and it breaks the camel's back and then it leads to an outburst of violence. So the industry's healthy. We're doing good. Like I said, we got some we got some challenges ahead over these next four years. I think our messaging has to change. We have to resonate with these people instead of just spitting these people just basic facts. We can do that and appeal to them, to the human side of these people, to make them investigate more and get people out of their comfort zone, their tribal in their tribal nature. We'll be all the better for it, man. If that happens, we'll be all the good. So hopefully that does, and we'll be all the better for it. But those are my final thoughts for this week's podcast. I will stop running my suck at this moment in time, and then we will wrap it up with the outro. And you guys have a wonderful day. That about wraps it up for this episode of The Gear Room. We covered a lot of content on this week's episode. Today, I discussed Six Hours' new Tret Predator rifle, the Army rewarding Barrett Firearms a $50 million PSR contract, and Parker Mountain Machines integrated rear sight, to name a few things. As always, links will be in the description below. This is your boy Drew from The Gear Room. As always, until next time, peace.